0: I'm Adrian Mabel, and this is the EV Quest podcast. In this episode, we're looking at the support and assistance available for moving a country towards a more sustainable energy system. My guest is Richard Briggs from ECA in New Zealand. Richard is a GM at ECA for warmer Kiwi homes, public sector, and transport. Yeah, it's a, it's a group manager role. It's it's over free delivery portfolios, quite diverse, yeah. um, but all of them quite fas- fascinating in their own right. Um, and I'm sure the interest here is is predominantly transport. Yeah, look, let's talk about Ica I- 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 in general. So, so oh, yeah. Ica's I- 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 got a stated purpose to mobilize New Zealanders to be world leaders in clean and clever energy use. So so what does that mean? That That, that means that, you know, we want people to look at their both in their home environment and their work environment about better utilization of energy to achieve their objectives you know we could electrify everything but the amount of electricity that needed to be generated uh, would be phenomenal so if we can be more efficient with the energy that we're using today so the outcome that we're looking for is is to obviously have a sustainable energy system that supports the prosperity and well being of both current and future generations. So when you look at energy efficiency, there's obviously also a carbon abatement link to that as well. And when we talk about energy, we're talking about all forms of energy. It's not just electricity, but it's also, you know, fossil fuels to run cars and coal boilers and diesel generators, and everything really that runs on energy, can be more efficient and more sustainable. So that's what we're focusing on. So we have three three key levers that, that, that we can pull to do that. The first one is co-funding. So there's a, a, a range of funds available to help understand what the barriers are to the deployment of the technologies and what's stopping people doing it. Some of it is uh, lack of understanding, lack of awareness, so there's some demonstration technology funds available for for help uh, early movers and first adopters. And so to create the learning, the thing can be replicated. Um, we also then have through Gen less, a behavioral change focus. Uh, and that's really all about helping people understand what the issue is uh, and what they need to do and also to help them uh, understand what the potential is. And then the third lever is is regulation. Uh, and so we do have some areas around energy efficient regulation that we oversee. The most obvious one uh, to us that probably not a lot of people realize is that you can't now import appliances uh, that are inefficient, uh, that you must only import or manufacture if you're doing it locally energy-efficient appliances. Now, whether that's importing a refrigerator or building a hot water cylinder locally for sale, it must meet a certain standard. So when you now go into your store to buy your next washing machine, for example, you'll see a range of stars on a sticker uh, on that appliance. So the relative efficiency of those is something that we oversee and manage. And also, uh, probably if you're in the market to buy a car and go down to your car yard, you'll see a sticker in the side of the window uh, that gives the relative efficiency uh, from a fuel efficiency point of view of that vehicle, the number of stars on the side and the newer stickers now that also have the emissions of that vehicle relative to other vehicles on there. That's, again, something else that that ECO that oversees. So co-funding is just one of the levers that we've got to sort of help people uh, become more uh, energy efficient and and, and be uh, smarter about using uh, clean and clever energy. So the Low Emission Transport Fund is the is the one that uh, the transport team operates and and has done so since about 2016. It was actually set up by Simon Bridges uh, in uh, the previous national government. And, and really what it's there to do is to support the demonstration of projects that have really high potential for uh, widespread adoption uh, in New Zealand and also uh, a replicable solutions. So it's all about innovation and also the infrastructure around that innovation to really accelerate the decarbonisation uh, of the transport sector. So it's really there to uh, help Early movers uh, who are obviously slightly risk averse. Someone's got to do this first, and, and and we're there to help them. And then that additional knowledge and learnings can be shared with the market for you know, further replication and, and wider uptake. Oh, yeah. Do they have to like achieve goals in a certain time frame, or it it it, it depends on the on the project, Adrian. But, but realistically, the longer it takes to get the learning. Uh, the longer that learning will take to replicate in the market. So the sooner we can do it, the better. The other thing we're also finding with this fund is technology is moving so fast that newer technology can make the learnings we've got you know, redundant. Um, a, a good example was one of our very first projects was the first ever electric bus in, in New Zealand. And that gave us a lot of learnings, particularly around building a business case for, for wider deployment uh, and understanding that. But within two years of that particular project, battery prices had probably come down 30%. The energy densities had gone up about 20%. And, and so the whole economics around a business case for that really were, you know, were no longer relevant. And, and so it's quite important that when we are looking at technology, that these things are ready to deliver quickly was it the bus in auckland that um that was running was it, the, it was the uh, yes it was the A U T bus was the very very first one so uh maybe just type, any sort of big wins you'd say sort of any standout projects you think that just off up your head a couple of yeah. that, that There are many standout projects. There's probably one that stands out for me, and it wasn't one of those big, sexy, high-ticket item projects. I mean, we've got hydrogen buses, we've got electric buses, we've got hydrogen trucks, electric trucks. We also funded the first car share scheme uh, in in New Zealand, and and that was quite exciting. Yeah, so it was evincible. It was around three projects. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but but the concept was to deploy... And this was in, it was round three and we're up to about round 12. But the idea was to deploy 25 used Nissan LEAFs across 25 workshops and, and to, to enable test drives. And, and the idea was that when you brought your car in for servicing and you got a loan vehicle from the workshop, the loan vehicle was to be a Nissan LEAF and it was to get people to test drive and feel what an electric car is actually like. And the early deployment of that was people were coming into the workshop and saying, you know, where's my loan car? <laughs> Here's the Nissan Leaf. Oh, yeah. There's no way I'm getting in that. I'm not going to drive that. Yeah. Uh, well, you can walk or you can have the Nissan Leaf. What do you want to do? Yeah. Uh, so they reluctantly get in it. And, um, that, that was sort of replicated across a number of, uh, of the workshop experiences, but they surveyed everybody afterwards and I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something stunning. Like 80% of people that reluctantly got in a Nissan Leaf and had it for the day while their car was being worked on, uh, would now seriously consider an electric car, they were wow. skeptics. Yeah, you know, they thought it couldn't work, couldn't do what they wanted to do, and, and so what we learned from that project and and is being played out now over the years, that if you can get someone to overcome their perceived uh, barriers to electrification and just get in and drive it, yeah, that people think very very differently about the vehicles, and I think that one project um, alone probably resulted in a significant um, mind shift amongst a lot of people. And it's projects like that that, that, that are really, really pleasing uh, and, and learn a lot about uh, electric vehicles. We've also had a range of uh, vehicles where yeah, we've looked at what are the issues uh, to, to deployment. Now, we know uh, electric trucks, uh, work, especially in the urban delivery environment. Um, but we had one project in partnership with Auckland council and Auckland transport, where they had a conceptual idea that by 2025, they'd like to have a clean air zone in lower Queen street. So they consulted with all of the stakeholders and all of the delivery organizations that deliver goods and services in that area and had quite a degree of pushback and skepticism to say hey you know the world's not ready for this there's there's no vehicles that can do the job so we funded a project where uh, five electric trucks in partnership with Fuso were shared amongst the key stakeholders who operate in there to to showcase what the potential is and these are early production models at the time and as a result of that All of those parties realise that a a ban in 2025 is actually doable. Whether it comes in or whether it doesn't, it is is really up now for the council. But we've gone from having a bunch of uh, stakeholders who were pushing back, saying, I'm not ready for the transition, I don't want to have the conversation, to now saying, hey, I actually realise this is doable. And yes, there are vehicles that can do that job. I just now need to prepare myself for the transition. So it's a very, very different conversation. You're not having people saying no, you're having people saying, yep, yeah, help, me, help me get there. And, and that's been another probably hugely successful project. And then I think finally, Adrian, that about a third of the money from each funding round has gone into charging infrastructure. And that's one of the areas where we are subsidizing as opposed to demonstrating and deploying because, uh, as we all know, uh, the lack of charging infrastructure, or more importantly, the perceived lack of charging infrastructure is probably the single biggest barrier to people adopting electric vehicles. So about a third of the money, so probably a significant amount has gone into um, charging infrastructure, so probably about 15 15 million uh, from a low emission transport fund has gone into subsidizing charges. And that's a range of charges from both destination charges uh, in supermarkets and the warehouse and those types of places, right through to higher speed charges on the sides of Highway 1 for those undertaking journeys. How would you describe the charging network in New Zealand now, then, at the moment? General. Uh, it's it's in, a, it's in a state of transition, uh, I think is a fair way to say it. It is that we, we've gone, the, the early ECA days, um, and look, ChargeNet, I think, are a standard. They've been a great partner to be with. Um, there weren't a queue of partners to work with us in the early days. They were the only ones. And it's only now very recently is the market starting to uh, create some competition. But we worked in close partnership with them, and I think I'm sure they won't mind us saying is they came to us saying we want to stick a charger in Taupo. Um, we would say, well, we probably need one there. Don't really know, but yeah, you've clearly got a plan. Go for it. Uh, and it highlighted to me that we didn't have a plan. And working in partnership with ChargeNet, ChargeNet were uh, determining where they go and choosing the sites for what they thought was where the growth areas were going to be. The deployment, though, was lining up with a previous government strategy of having a charger every 75k on the main highway or main roads and um, main journeys. And, um, and and as a result of that, Ica was a... a ensuring that where charges were going, we're completing that network. And we actually had a funding round last year for some of the more challenging spots to to fill the gaps. So I think there's probably about three areas now in New Zealand where we don't have a charger every 75k. But fundamentally, we're 99%. That last 1% is just not economically viable to to, to complete. Um, there's just not enough traffic on the road, uh, and they're sufficiently remote that we'll find another way to, to to help the people caught up in that. But the job was done as a charger every 75K, and, and that strategy is complete. And, and, and thanks to our partnership with ChargeNet that uh, you know, the bulk of that was done in, in partnership with them. The challenge is that strategy is fine when you've got about 20 or 30,000 cars, as the fleet of vehicles starts to grow, we're already seeing now people rocking up to a charger behind a queue of two or three other cars. Uh, And that strategy is is no longer fit for a a rapidly growing fleet of electric vehicles. So we've taken the lead and uh, devising a five-year rolling charging roadmap, working in partnership with other government agencies and departments to help understand how we can get people to charge as efficiently as they can and to encourage the uptake of electric vehicles. So we've devised three distinct segments of charging. The first segment is where I'm going to be for four hours or more. Um, In most cases, that'll be at home while I'm uh, in in bed at night. Uh, It could be in the workplace, It could be uh, a hotel, it could be a motel, but anywhere where I'm going to be for four hours or more, um, we'd like to see a proliferation of probably relatively small speed AC chargers that provide a trickle charge overnight to to the vehicles that need them. The second opportunity is more around uh, opportunity charging in destination locations. So that's what I spoke about before. The the gyms, the the shopping malls, uh, the supermarkets, where I'm going to be for between 30 minutes and two hours, an opportunity to top up if I if I need it, that'll be ideally something like a little 25 kilowatt, 50 kilowatt DC charge, not super fast, but I'm going to be there for a period of time where I'm going to get a material benefit from from plugging in, and then the third opportunity is journey charging. It's where I'm traveling uh, from point A to point B, and that exceeds the range of my vehicle. I need to top up or or, or fill up during the trip, and I need to get as much energy in as quickly as I can to be able to complete that task. Uh, And so that will be a higher speed, 150 kilowatt plus type DC charging that can get a lot of energy very, very quickly into the vehicle. We, we recognise that those three distinct opportunities don't fit everybody. There are people that either can't charge at home, they, they live in an apartment, they don't have a garage, or in some cases have a garage but decide to fill it up with something other than a car um, and, and, and therefore don't have that. So we're trying to now understand their day-to-day behaviour and are they, are they going to be somewhere for four hours or more, other than the home, is that the workplace or is that somewhere else? If that doesn't work for them, are they regular gym goers? Are they regular supermarket shoppers, or, or what is that behaviour where they can actually take advantage of that um, middle segment of, of charging? Where we're putting the most of our energy now is in uh, excuse the pun is is into the journey charging because we see that uh, ha- having multiple benefits um the first one is i think when people are considering an ev for the first time they're comparing their experience and and visibility of petrol stations everywhere to the sheer absence of chargers i can see a petrol station on every corner i never see a charger therefore i can't buy an electric vehicle it's not until they buy an electric vehicle do they realize they don't need a charger in the same frequency as they do petrol stations, because typically eighty percent of your charging need is going to be met with that. Uh, where I'm going to be for four hours or more, so, so you can start every day with a full, a full car. You don't need uh, a petrol station, whereas where when you are travelling on a long journey, you don't have those options, and and you've got to visit a journey a journey site. So. What we want to do is to uh, create the opportunity where there is a cluster of journey sites, every 150 to 200k around the country. Now, that cluster is going to vary depending on where it is in the country. I can imagine the one in Taupo, Turangi, capturing the Auckland-Wellington traffic is potentially going to have a higher volume than one stay on the West Coast in Haas that's probably not going to. Have the same number of uh, vehicles visit so in a in, in those category one sites where there's a lot of traffic i can certainly see the opportunity for up to 20 charges those chargers being able to probably 150 maybe 200 kilowatt um outputs uh to be able to charge cars very very quickly we also need to support them because they're going to be there for between 15 minutes and half an hour depending on the ability for the car to take the power so what is it they're going to do while they're there so obviously we need to make it comfortable and convenient for them we're going to need to be able to have uh maybe even a lounge for people to continue to do business if 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 that's what they're doing their trip for if they're taking the kids on holiday kids need to be entertained, so they'll need to have a playground and some facilities, and there's obviously toilets and Wi-Fi and coffee and a a similar experience to what you get at a a service station today, and they'll be deployed around the country. We have just concluded an RFP uh, this month, and we'll hopefully make an announcement in the new year for two pilot sites. Um, So we're going to stand up a pilot site in the middle of the North Island and another one in the middle of the South Island, just to test some ideas as to what these sites would look like. Have we thought of everything? Is there anything missing? Certainly allowed uh, a lot of the market participants to provide some input into that. Uh, And I've stressed to everybody I've spoken to, we're not the exclusive provider of ideas. We've got an idea of what this looks like. Um, but we also then need to have feedback into other you know, elements that need to be added, elements that need to be taken away. So when those two pilot sites are scaled up to the other 25 or 30 to complete the network, uh, that we're not reworking all of those and we can roll them out reasonably quickly. But that be built one of the important yeah. things that, that, that we're looking at from a... Yes, they'll be about next year. We'll, we'll, I... we'll contract them and we'll go public on the location and 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 where they'll be uh probably february january february just depending how long contract negotiations take um and then it's a matter of working with the councils and the uh and more importantly the electricity distribution companies to make sure there's enough power uh to roll those out so hopefully we'll we'll, we'll see those in 2023 um if 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 everything goes well and and the supply chain paves itself too The other thing we're also looking at is how much can we future-proof those sites? Yeah, We've got probably around 40,000 battery electric cars on the road today. That's not a huge number. So I think going and putting a pilot site in with 20 chargers is probably not a good use of funds. Um, But we could put three or four in now. The, the challenge is within the three or four grows to five or six and seven, and eight and nine and 10, uh, is the infrastructure under the ground to enable those to have sufficient power to do, to do their job and feed the cars. So one of the things we want to have a look at in working with the distribution companies is how much power is required to feed 20 of these. And can we have that power and can we future proof that site now? So we're not digging up the road back to the uh, substation every time we're putting another charger in, which sort of doesn't make sense to us. The other thing we're also looking at is uh, one of the ideas, one of the partners we're working with saying, hey, I've got a solution where through your uh, car, uh, when you know that you're going to need energy at that next cluster site, is can I book a charger and so and so when I arrive at the site, there's a charger set up, dedicated, waiting for me. I can charge and move on. I don't have to queue. The sort of two schools of thought there, if you've got enough charges in the cluster site, you don't need to queue um, because there's enough to do the job. You're only going to need to book if there is not enough charges or the perception that there's not enough charges. So I'm probably reluctant to invest too much uh, time and money in a booking system where hopefully the network grows at a rate where you don't need to book. But uh, I, I think to help people understand confidence and give them confidence that there's a charger there for them, that we will look at that uh, and develop that app. It would be reasonably cost-effective to do. Well, and you can book a, a, a charger in advance. In. Yeah, well, you, you know, that's, that's the other thing. I know charging it reduced a dollar a minute um, yeah, for uh, staying after you've charged, which hopefully will be a sufficient deterrent. But uh, yeah, it be interesting to see whether that does work or not. But uh, yeah, certainly keen to, to to optimize the use of those of those charges. And then Adrian, one more thing that we're also looking at doing, and it's not yet an issue here, although I've signaled it now for for a couple of years, and it's starting to potentially become an issue is around billing is that uh, because we've enjoyed the, the, the luxury of having an almost exclusive partnership with Chargenet, there's been only one billing app. But we're now seeing with OpenLoop and Meridian and Z and BP, probably four, five, six different billing systems to be able to c- cover the network. Uh, the UK example of where it went to extremes, and I think the last article I read, you need 37 different accounts and dongles to be able to use every public charger in the United Kingdom. And we certainly don't want to get into uh, that scenario. So and before this gets too much further, we're really keen to work with those partners to help them develop some form of back office clearing house where You can rock up to one of these public chargers with your preferred app, uh, whether that be a BP fuel card or a charge net dongle or a Meridian fob, whatever it is that you're using and you've got an account for, you can use it at any charger. And, you know, then that clearing house then sorts out the billing behind the scenes and you have no uh, visibility of how that happens. You just get the charge on your, on your account. And you can then also use your app if you've got an app you're comfortable with that has that uh, journey planning system on it that all of the charges in the network are, are on there, regardless of which one you want to use. So that's something else that we're also working on to make sure that before this network grows much bigger, uh, that we've got that sorted. That's a good point. You see those photos of people going, these are all the dongles I need to travel around I found so if you're English people, like what you just said, they've got all the little dongles. Yeah, yeah. I think I have 37 dock. I mean, you're filling your glove box with dongles. Uh, uh, yeah. But not only that, a lot of these accounts require you to have a you know, uh, a balance yeah. in there. So even if it's only you know, $20, $50 balance uh, you know, across, even if it's only 10 accounts, there's 500 bucks that, that you've yeah. got tied up. Um, in, in credit on, on, accounts. And so, you know, that's just, you know, as an EV driver for five years, that would put me off. So, so yeah, it's something we've definitely got to fix. Yeah. That's a good point. What would be a poster child? Is there a country that's going sort of let the like poster child for do, doing everything, making great progress at the moment that should be followed? Oh, I mean, every country is different. I, and I think the other thing we also look at is where you join the game technology is also creeping ahead and I, and I think most EV supporters will probably look to a country like Norway as a, as a as a leading example of a country that's largely got it right they went quite early with their charging infrastructure and so what happened is they've deployed a whole network of 50 kilowatt charges um, and that was fit for purpose at the time because that was the maximum amount most cars could take. But now we've got newer generation vehicles that are capable of taking 200 kilowatt feeds and so therefore can charge five, six times faster uh, with a demand now for bigger charges, and so 300 kilowatt charges. Um, so they're going through a process now, um, which I suppose is the penalty for being early, of repurposing those 50 kilowatt charges that were in journey locations now into those destination locations I spoke about, the supermarkets and the gyms, and then deploying 300 kilowatt charges. So, yeah, we don't have that problem. We haven't even built a network yet. So so we know that we don't have that issue. We may have that issue when some other technology comes along five years from now that we haven't even thought of that requires us to do the same. So, yeah. there's issues, but look, by and large, Norway is the poster child of how how to do this, and we've certainly worked quite closely with them to get some ideas, uh, what learnings that they've had in the early days of their rollout. Um, but yeah, you, know, you look at our penetration now, and I think in in a good month, up to twenty percent of new registrations will be electric cars. I think typically on our, and of course that depends on. When the next boat of Teslas comes in, yeah. but by and large, I think it's running at about 12, 15 of new registrations or electric vehicles. You look across at Norway, and I think it's up about eighty percent. Wow! Yeah. Do we have enough power if we, you know, suddenly everyone sort of jumps on the EV bandwagon? Are we going to have enough power? Look to answer your question, Adrian. Um, the the answer is clearly no, yeah. because yeah, you, know, you don't build an electricity network on the off chance a million EVs turn up tomorrow, yeah. um, because one, we know it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and and secondly, to build a network with that much of uh, unused future potential is just really a poor utilisation of, of assets. You're going to have electricity being generated that's just being wasted because the million cars haven't turned up yet. So, you know, the plan is to make sure that you've got a reasonably good forecast of future demand um, and then build your electricity assets to match that growth. And, and you know, and, and the good news is Transpower have got a, a 2040 plan that they're working towards, and we're working quite closely with the local distribution companies to, to, to help with that too. But I think it's worth stressing this is not an EV issue. You know, this is a New Zealand Inc issue that, in parallel with us getting people out of cars, um and if they have to have a car, into an EV. There's another conversation: is that we don't want to shift four and a half million cars to four and a half million EVs. Um, where people do transition to EVs, that um, you know, there's enough power. But we're also getting people, uh, businesses out of coal boilers. So we're getting. Um yeah, you know, electrification of a lot of industrial process, heat and a lot of industrial applications are also being electrified, and that's requiring a lot of electricity as well. So, my understanding is there is sufficient new generation resource consent for renewable projects, so that's uh, solar and wind predominantly. that is more than enough to meet that future demand. Good. Oh, yeah, and so where do you finally maybe um, say five to ten years, is you've got a picture where you'll see the market. Um, so comes well, we'll back to the point I made at the moment. I think things are changing quickly, but we want to have a bit of a control of the. When I say we, New Zealand wants to have a bit of a control of the outcome. We're going through a fundamental shift in the way we move, and both moving ourselves and the good around the country is also look at, is there a better way to do this? Yeah, one of the surprises to a lot of people is we have about 840 cars per 1,000 people. That's one of the highest rates of car ownership on the planet, Um, and that suggests we can do things a bit better. Yeah, we compare ourselves to the likes of the UK and to Norway, where their car penetration is probably only 60% of ours. Uh, so they can do the same stuff we do with far fewer vehicles. So, yeah, we are a country madly in love with our cars. You know, I, I, I love my car and um, and so does my wife. So we're already a two-car family. Um, but there's got to be a better way. As I say, shifting four and a half million cars to four and a half million EVs is actually not fixing the congestion issue. Um, and also... You know, whilst buying an electric vehicle is a desirable way to do things, it's not a carbon neutral decision. There's still embedded carbon in an electric car. So how can we be more efficient around moving? You know, what is the role of public transport? What is the role of car share? And what is the role of other opportunities to drive around in somebody else's car rather than own a car that's just parked up ninety percent of the time. Not a good utilization of asset. So you've got that in the mix that we want to have a look at now. And and look for 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 a lot of people that isn't an option. I mean I live in rural Canterbury. I can't imagine a car share vehicle being something that I can fit into my life. But if you're in the middle of the Auckland C B D yeah, I'm sure there is an opportunity where you can go car-free for a period of time and, and still enjoy moving around that city. On the horizon, um, what is the role of autonomous vehicles uh, emerging? So, so you're moving up yeah, system today where you've got uh, a car that you can then drive. The next iteration of that, which who knows how far away it is, they've been in trials and development for the last four or five years um one day they'll be here um yeah the whole autonomous car ecosystem is going to completely transform the way we move around yeah these cars will just be floating around waiting for somebody to jump in and they'll never park um so the question is what do you do with all the car parks and the car parking buildings that are filling up the bigger cities but from a charging infrastructure viewpoint, how are these things going to be charged? So one of the projects that we're looking at right now with a couple of partners is induction charging. So, you know, uh, we, 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 it's, it's being deployed in, uh, in Norway at the moment with taxis. So a taxi will come into a taxi rank. Uh, wait for its fare, and while it's parking there, there's an induction pad underneath charging the vehicle. It doesn't have to plug into anything, and if a job comes in, it can it can go off and do its thing. Yeah, you know, potentially, if autonomous vehicles becomes more widespread, is that likely to be the charging preferred charging solution for that type of vehicle? Because there's no B in it to get out and plug a charger in, so induction charging makes sense. So. You know, who knows what what, what the future brings, but uh, it's certainly going to be very different to what we've got today. Yeah, well, it's probably a good spot to finish on the exciting future. Richard, is it a? It's a, it's a, oh look, it's it's a it's a great place to be, and it's very very exciting yeah. what, what what's happening and uh, and the development that are taking place. Um, you know, this is not all about cars. We're we're also looking at shifting goods and. Um, truck movements and uh, how can we make trucks more efficient, but not only making trucks more efficient, how can you reduce the amount of uh, truck movements that are empty? Um, And so it's that backhaul solution. Uh, How can we fix that? And then you've also got marine applications and also aviation um, and long haul shipping, of course. So there's a variety of Um, sectors that also need to be looked at not just cars but maybe that's a conversation for another day yeah 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 that's great thanks thank you richard thanks for your time